you've maybe seen uh, online uh, the news article that was circulating about the missing person. It was uh, going round and round at the weekend. Uh, there was a report, a group of tourists spent hours on Saturday looking for a missing woman near Iceland's Elgia Canyon, only to find her among the search party. <laughs> the group was traveling through Iceland on a bus tour and stopped near a volcanic canyon. Soon there was word of a missing passenger. The woman, who had changed her clothes, didn't recognize the description of herself and joined the search. <laughs> but the search was called off at 3 a.m. when it became clear the missing woman was in fact accounted for and searching for herself. You couldn't make it up. <laughs> Mum's gone to Iceland. What is happening? Searching for yourself in a search. Anybody seen looking like this description? Uh, when I was a little boy, my name was regularly read out in Abbey Centre. A small boy has been found wearing a red jumper and blue jeans. I all got lost all the time. Even I, as a, a small child, recognized the description of myself over the tannoy. Uh, you, you have problems if you don't recognize the, the description of yourself. Missing person report. And it seems that here in, in Acts 18, as Priscilla and Aquila listen to Apollos preach, there is something similar going on. There is a missing person. There is someone that Apollos is waiting for who has actually showed up. Apollos is preaching the Old Testament scriptures, anticipating the arrival of the Messiah, speaking even about Jesus, but not making the connection between both. And Priscilla and Aquila are nudging each other in the pew saying, we, we need to tell this guy that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah, we read that he, was, he taught about Jesus accurately, but he only knew about John's baptism. There was a limit to the understanding that Apollos had, and, and in his mind, he was still waiting, still searching for the Messiah like the Jewish community that he was a part of. Priscilla and Aquila want to call off the search and say, you don't need to search anymore. Jesus is here. He is the Messiah. He is the long-awaited one. He is the one that the whole of the Old Testament has been pointing forward to. It's all about him. And so they acted on it. The little footnote in my ESV study Bible on verse 25 of Acts 18 says, he certainly, talking of Apollos, he certainly knew about Jesus' life and teachings, but he may not have known about Jesus' death and resurrection or about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. There were gaps. There was a limit to his knowledge of Jesus Christ. And while he was a capable preacher, he wasn't making the whole Jesus known. He, he was proclaiming a limited, partial Jesus to the gathered crowd. And what happens next for Apollos is really insightful for us as we think about the, the gift of teaching in the local church, the, the, this gift of teacher that Christ gives to his church. John launched the series for us last week and, and it helped us to see about the diversity and variety of gifting that Christ gives to his church so that we are not all the same. We don't all have the same function. We don't all have the same ministry. We, we don't all have the same bias or focus and over the next few weeks, we, we will look at apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and pastors. And tonight, we're looking at, at teachers. 
what does it mean to be a, a teacher in the life of the local church? The aim of all of these gifts, Christ gives them to the church so that we will grow to maturity, so that we will grow up to represent Christ fully in the world. Now, none of us can do it on our own. We need each other. Christ alone is the perfect apostle, the, the perfect prophet, the perfect evangelist, the perfect shepherd or pastor, the perfect teacher. He is our model. He is our example. And, and none of us is like him fully. We need each other to represent Christ to the world. But our aim over the next few weeks is to help you to discern what what is why am I in the church? What has God placed me in the church for? What, in what way can I be a gift to the church that I am a part of? How am I going to build up the body of Christ? How can I do that among others? And we start tonight by thinking about teachers. Apollos is described as a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He'd been instructed in the way of the Lord and he spoke with great fervor, taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only of the baptism of John. It sounds like Apollos was a knowledgeable guy. He had a reputation of being well-educated. He was trained, perhaps, even formally. But when Priscilla and Aquila hear him speak, they notice that he's not saying the main thing. He's not talking about death and resurrection. He's not talking about Jesus' victory over the cross, Jesus' victory over sin, Jesus' victory over Satan. He's not talking about how Jesus fulfilled the promises of the Old Testament. And so they invite him into their home and explain to him the way of God more adequately. The home group leaders invite the preacher to their house and they put him straight, gently and humbly. The people in the pew invite the guy from the pulpit to come and be among them, and they say, hey, Apollos, we listen to you. We love you. We're impressed by what you have to say, but here, here's what you need to know. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ. This, this biblical knowledge that, that you have is leading to him. Join the dots. Make the connection. He is the good shepherd. He, he's greater than Moses. He's he's." greater than Daniel. He's greater than Joseph. The one that you uh, long for and wait upon is Christ. And this grace of teaching is, is distributed generally through the church. It is given specifically to some individuals in really strong ways, but, but what we want to think about tonight, initially at least, is that every believer, every Christian has a responsibility to be a teacher in the church, to share with other people their knowledge of God, to communicate to others, to bring encouragement in conversation, to bring to bear their knowledge of God in the lives of other people, to build up the church, to pass on what they have received. The grace of teaching is given to the church by Jesus and not only received by ministers and pastors and ordained leadership or trained leadership. There's a general grace of teaching given to everyone as they receive Christ into their lives. And we see it function here in, in Acts chapter 18. We'll look at the specifics in a, in a moment, but first of all, let's think about the general gift of teaching. When Paul wrote to the Colossian church, he was encouraging them to be 
uh, the kind of church that God wanted them to be, not, not to be looking over their shoulder and comparing themselves with, with other people, but to be satisfied with Jesus and to trust in him, to focus on him. And, and Paul says to the Colossian church, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Now, obviously, Paul wasn't expecting the Colossian church for every single member of the Colossian church to occupy the pulpit or to stand on a platform or to be at the front of the church and, and, and bringing sermons. He was saying to them, as you teach and admonish one another, that this is something that should be a part of Christian community, that you teach one another, you share with one another what you know to be true about God, you pass on to your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. He didn't necessarily have sermons or preaching in mind. He was saying, the gossip, the gospel, pass on the word of God in, in encouragement and in correction, in guidance and direction to your fellow believers. They were to read the scriptures themselves. They were to become familiar with God's word so that they could apply it to the lives of their uh, fellow Christians. In Acts 8, we're told that when persecution came upon the church and when they experienced real difficulty, that all except the apostles were scattered. And then verse 4 says, they preached the word wherever they went. It's like Dr. Luke goes to great lengths to explain the apostles stayed the church was scattered, and it was the scattered church who taught the Word of God wherever they went. The ordinary, everyday believers carried the Word of God with them when they were scattered through persecution. Paul makes it clear, or sorry, Luke makes it clear in the book of Acts that it was the, the, the apostles who remained and the scattered church who carried the message. There was teaching gifts in the lives of the ordinary believers. It was the disciples who were opening the Word of God and explaining it to each other, explaining it to the people around them. It's possible that as soon as we start to talk like this in church that two, two groups emerge. Some people, maybe with a more traditional bias, are thinking, oh, I know where this is going. We're going to undermine the sermon. We're going to undermine the place of uh, the proclaimed Word in the assembly of God's people. We're going to do away with that. And you become nervous because it seems like it's an attack on the traditional place of, of preaching or the historical significance of preaching in the church. And so you, you get nervous about that because you can sense that coming uh, in our culture, in our society. The opposite reaction is excitement because people's like, yes, at last, I don't have to listen to a 30-minute talk. You're, you're so used to you know, watching Netflix and skipping the intro. I've seen it before, I've heard this one. I, I know that one, so we'll skip that bit. You can fast forward through the adverts. Um, you can pause to go and get a cup of coffee. You can even mute. And you don't have those options when the sermon's happening. And you're like, yes, we can just talk to one another about the Bible, not have to listen to a sermon. We can even change channels when we have Netflix. We can get bored of a series and opt out. And you, I'm sorry, you just don't have that opportunity in church. And you're thinking, yes, I'm so glad we're talking about teaching one another because we don't have to listen to those guys at the front anymore. And... Uh, Let's have a conversation. Let's have a Q&A. Let, let's just chat to one another and do away with the place of, of preaching in, in the life of the church. And so I want to respond to both of those groups and, and, and say to the nervous people who are anxious about the undermining the place of preaching by thinking of all of us as teachers, I'm saying that, that's not what God has in mind. 
That's not what this gift does. It doesn't do away with the place of preaching. There's something irreplaceable about declaring God's word, about proclaiming the good news. You know, it's, it's, it's not something just to be conversed about because it's a report. We're actually saying victory has happened. We're, we're announcing good news. Death is defeated. Sin has been nailed to the cross and Jesus has risen victorious over the grave. It's, it's not just let's have a discussion about that. It's, it's the preaching is announcing good news, heralding, proclaiming something has happened that will change your life forever. And so we always need to announce that. We will always need the news report in the local church so the nervous can breathe. However, teaching is, is the only place that teaching can, can happen is not through a, a sermon, not through pastors or ministers. We are not the only ones who have a responsibility to teach or to preach. I really like how the Bible scholar Peter Adam puts it. He says, a church's gospel ministry should be pulpit-centered, but not pulpit-restricted. Pulpit-centered, primacy and importance of declaring the word of God, that's important, that's central, but, but it's not restricted to there. We need more than that. So hopefully all groups, who, those who are nervous and those who are excited, can be united about the place of teaching in the church. Notice how he acknowledges here, yes, we need preaching, but preaching is not all that we need when we think about the teaching gift that God has given to the church. Apollos was obviously a capable preacher. He was obviously knowledgeable. <clears throat> he was compelling to listen to. He was able to communicate. Verse 24 says he's knowledgeable in the scriptures. He was a learned man. Verse 25, he'd been instructed in the way of the Lord. He, he was capable. He was a good communicator. He was at the front of the synagogue teaching and people listened to him. He had a good CV. <clears throat> And he, he was impressive. But in order to experience the fullness of Jesus for himself, he needed a home group. He needed Priscilla and Aquila to invite him into his home. And they needed to say, there's some things about Jesus that you don't know and they're actually really important. And we've listened to your preaching. We've benefited from what you have to say. But come, come and be part of our home. Come into our house and we will explain to you who Jesus is in a more adequate way. They invited him into their home. I can imagine them having the question, you know, this couple, Priscilla and Aquila, you think, well, I'm not saying to him, you say to him. Well, we'll invite him for dinner. I don't know, does that seem a bit contrived? You know, who are we to speak to this guy? Who are we to, to put him right? Who are we to correct the falsehood or the error or to fill in the gap? You can imagine them, but I love how they do it. Thank God for their courage that they do do it. They didn't shy away from the responsibility, but they didn't stand up in the assembly and say, heretic. They didn't go out in the car park and talk about him after they invited him in, into their home and explain to him the fullness of Jesus Christ in a more adequate way. It's beautiful what they did. Tim Keller says this, I, I shouldn't expect to be shaped into Christ-likeness by listening to the best sermons. I also need other Christians around me who are handling the word of truth. I, I really love that. Like if Tim Keller 
needs other Christians around him to be shaped into Christ-likeness. If, if sermons are not enough for him, then that's true of, of you and me. We need other Christians around us. And as you think about what you hear in church, what happens on a Sunday morning and evening is really good, and there's, there's central importance to what we do here on a Sunday. And yet, uh, all of us who preach here would say we, we, we feel the limitation of how it can be specifically applied to your life. And you're going to be sitting uh, or find yourself in specific circumstances and situations wondering, what does God's Word say to me in this uh, pressure that I'm under in work, this specific relational challenge in my family, this moral dilemma in my own life? And you're wondering, how, how do I live Christianly there? And you're not maybe going to get an answer to that question from the sermon. Maybe you need to speak to another Christian who's been through that situation before or who, who has maybe have a fuller understanding of the Scriptures and can help you to know God's mind. And you might not get it in Sunday worship, but you should be able to get it through conversation, through our discipleship communities, through an Alpha small group through a course that you're a part of where someone else is able to teach you the Word of God. I read this week about parents who brought their uh, teenage son to the pastor. They'd been praying for him for years, and God was really on his case. And it came to the point where they believed that their son was going to give his life to Jesus. He had a couple of questions that he needed answered, a couple of things that he wanted to talk through, and the pastor sent the boy away with the parents and said, I'm not meeting him now. You talk to him, and I'll, I'll see him in the future. Maybe the parents were livid. And so they told their friends, and their friends told the pastor. That's what happens, just so you know, right? We always find out. It always gets back. You think, if I say it there, it gets back, just so you know. It got back that they were livid with the pastor about a month later, the parents returned to the pastor and said, thank you so much for sending us away. We had the opportunity to talk to our son and lead him to faith in Jesus Christ. If you had prayed with him, you would have robbed us of that opportunity. Thank you for sending us away. We collectively have a responsibility to teach one another about Jesus. We collectively have a responsibility to lead other people to Jesus. As I thought about that story this week, I was thinking, I'm not sure I would have sent those people away. I would have thought, yes, here's someone who's about to become a Christian, and I'm going to get to share in the story, and I'm going to tell everyone I just led someone to faith in Jesus Christ. And the challenge to me and to those of us in leadership is don't rob other people of the opportunity to lead their friends to Jesus Christ. Give people opportunities. You do it. And so those of us in leadership need to make sure that we're creating opportunities for the whole body of Christ to be engaged in bringing maturity, to build one another up. And so, yeah, there's a general teaching gift, the general gift of teacher that is given to all of us and is collectively our responsibility in the life of the church. But what about the specifics of it? How does it... Uh, zero down? How, how does it dial down into the life of an individual to, for you to realize this is actually the primary way in which God has gifted me or equipped me, or this is the primary ministry that I should be engaged in in the life of the local church? If every Christian should be able to bring encouragement, if every Christian should be able to pass on faith, then what does it look like? How can I know Christ has made me a teacher in his church? Kath Livesey, in her book, 
uh, on prophecy and writing about this kind of stuff. This uh, talks about the role of a teacher, and she says that a teacher's role is to help the church understand biblical truth so that disciples can grow in comprehension and wisdom. It's about helping people to have God's perspective on their lives and the world around them through theological insight. Teachers bring strength and stability to the body of Christ. A teacher is motivated by helping disciples to have a fuller understanding of the Bible and apply it to their lives. Christian teachers bring clarity where there's confusion, where people are thinking, I don't really understand that. And then a teacher can explain it and, and there's an aha moment in the room or in the group and, and people think, oh yeah, I get it now. That makes sense now. Christian teachers should bring, should bring hope where there is despair. You think about it. Jesus says things like, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. He speaks to people who are grieving and says, blessed, happy, it's a good thing. Congratulations in the long run that you're mourning. And everyone's going, what is this upside down thinking all about? Blessed are those who mourn. You see, Jesus has a, a, a godly perspective on the situation of those who are mourning, who are grieving, who are conscious that they, they've lost something. He says, blessed are you that you mourn because one day comfort is coming. If you grieve how you live right now, if you're sorrowful over your sin, then you will run to Jesus to, to get him to cover your sin and, and you will be comforted in the long run. He brings hope to people in despair. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Congratulations in the long run to those who are poor in spirit. Happy are those who are poor in spirit. Spiritually bankrupt people, happy, congratulations. Why? Because as soon as you realize your spiritual poverty, you will look for someone who has the spiritual riches to enable you to be with God forever. Jesus sees an inheritance that is coming to the people who are spiritually poor. And he says, blessed are you. And so Jesus brings hope to people who are in despair. Christian teachers should bring hope to people who are in despair. Clarity to those who are confused. See, Jesus brings strength to the church, stability to the church. And as we follow in his footsteps as Christian teachers, we should be able to bring stability. We should be able to bring clarity. We should be able to bring hope. That should be our responsibility, to trust Jesus in all of life. Here are some questions that you might want to answer or think about as you try to discern, has Christ given me as a teacher to the life of the local church? Here are some key features. Are you hungry to learn? Are you the kind of person that as soon as we announce at the front of church, we're going to run this course, you've already signed up for it in your head before you even know what the course is about? Because you think, I want to be a part of that, I might know more. Are you the kind of person when we say, we've got some books here this morning and they're available afterwards or we've got some books here this evening and, they're, and you're like, I'm going to buy that book. I don't care what the title is, I'm buying it. Because you've got a thirst for knowledge. You want to grow in your understanding of who God is. You see, teachers typically sign up for courses. They willingly use their free time and their own finances to engage in study and research and information gathering. They love training and the opportunity to be taught. Are you hungry to learn? Second question is, are you eager to share? 
Are you, you know like in school when people are like doing their answers and have their hand over their book like this? <laughs> Don't copy my work. Teachers are the opposite of that. It's like, here, I've just got the answer. Do you want, do you want to know what this is? They're so eager to share what they are learning themselves that they're passing it on, even when it's inappropriate to pass it on. They just want to tell someone something that they've learned. Are you the kind of person who reads something in your quiet time? You read a paragraph or you read a verse of scripture and you instantly think of somebody else you need to share this with? Because that might be the way that God has wired you to pass on faith in Jesus Christ to another person. Do you listen to a podcast and send it to another person? Do you hear something preached in church and you instinctively think of another person that needs to know about it? Do you send a text message or a WhatsApp message or, or some kind of message to share with other people what you are learning yourself? Are you energized by opportunities to pass on what you've already taken hold of in your own life? When someone says, would you come to this event and share your faith? Would you allow us to be, would you allow us to interview you? And you're thinking, yeah, I'd love to do that. That might be a way that God is identifying a teaching gift in your life. These next three are, are part of a little group and we'll work through them. Do you have ability? You know, like the X Factor people who are like, I will have number ones. And then they sing and you're like, you will never have a number one. But my mom says I'm a really good singer. And it's like, no. Do, are you actually competent in the area in which you're teaching about or speaking about? Do people feel at ease when you teach? Do they follow along? Are, are they helped by what you do? Do they feel at ease? I remember at Carrick College doing an ab seal. It was probably about fifth form. And we just climbed up this big climbing wall, got to the top, and there was a queue of us waiting to ab seal down the other side. And I got talking to one of the guys at the top of the ab sealing tower who was like clipping on the carabiner and getting the ropes all ready. And just to make conversation, I said to him, have you been doing this for long? He said, no, it's my first day. I was like... <laughs> No. Now, he, he was only winding me up, but I did not feel confident that I was about to drop backwards off this big tower. I, I was like, I really hope you know what you're doing here. Do, do, do people feel at ease as, as you teach? Do they follow along? Do you have an ability in this area? Can you make the complicated simple? Second question or in, the, in, the, in these three, uh, number, question number four, do you have affinity number four do you have affinity what are you passionate about what, what do you love doing what are you excited about in the body of Christ or the mission of God do you enjoy serving in this area or do you think oh please God no don't make me do that you see your heart should rise you should have an affinity for the area do you love to teach do you pursue opportunities to serve in this area I remember as a teenager my youth pastor asking me to be involved in a youth event and I really got excited about the opportunity, not just to be up the front, but to plan it and prepare for it, to see it come together and to see some of my friends from my own school be a part of it. And for me, that was, that was kind of affirming that this is something that I love doing and, and yet it's working and, and I started to get excited about it in my own life. So ability, affinity and affirmation are people helped by you serving in this way? Is the feedback positive? Is the feedback, is there fruit? Are people coming to faith? Are people growing in their faith? 
And so those final three questions kind of go like a little diagram that I got in a book, and it says affinity, ability, and affirmation, and in the middle it says a spiritual gift or ministry competency. Or When those three things overlap, that should be like a guide and light for you about what you should be about. I mean, probably use those overlapping circles for any of these areas of gift and not just teaching or, or pastoring or evangelism or the apostolic or prophetic stuff. We could use, use them for all, not, not just one tonight. And you might want to use that as a tool to kind of discern where your primary gifting is. Who has God made you to be in Christ? What way is he leading you or, or guiding you? It's not that you're to be perfect. It's not that you're to be the perfect teacher. There already is a perfect teacher. His name is Jesus. And as you read scripture and you, you look at the lives of the disciples, you look at the lives of leaders in the life of the church, you should be encouraged when they mess up and fail. Ed Stetzer says this. In Scripture, there is such an emphasis on the failures of Jesus' disciples and church leaders. It's not a coincidence that we learn so much about Peter's stupidity and David's foolishness. In fact, our exposure to the mistakes of other leaders emphasizes the fact that Jesus is truly at the center of the gospel movement. It's not about teachers or evangelists, or shepherds, or apostles, or prophets. It's, not, it's about Jesus. And so we're all weak and flawed, and yet Jesus invites us to serve him and to use our giftedness and our, uh, the things that, are ex that we get excited about in order to glorify him and magnify him. Don't hold back from serving. Don't hold back from engaging in the life of the church because you're conscious of weakness. All our inadequacies. All our failures, all our guilt are swallowed up by Jesus at the cross. And he calls us to represent him, the one who is perfect. You see, everyone else has to eat their words at times. Everyone else has to say, I'm sorry, I got it wrong. We have to offer our apologies. And so our words don't have the same authority that Jesus' words have. But at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus had finished saying all those things, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn. When he said, you know, don't build your house um, on the sand, you know, build it on the rock, dig down deep. When he finished saying all those things we hear, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. Jesus' words carry authority because he never has to eat his words. He's faithful. Let there be light. There's light. His word accomplishes what he sends it forth to do. John chapter 6 and verse 68. From this time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you're the Holy One of God. There is literally no other option. Jesus has the words of eternal life. So in, in world religion, in Instagram quotes, in you know, poems that are read at various times, lots of people speak about failure. Lots of people speak about hope. Lots of people speak about death. Jesus Christ alone is unique in this. He conquered death. He defeated sin. There is no other voice that carries that authority. Lord, to whom shall we go? 
you have the words of eternal life. So as we teach in the local church, I love what Brian Chapel says, when we say what God says, we have his authority. And so our responsibility as teachers is to teach what God says because then we have authority like no other. And that, that's the challenge to, to you and I, to be uh, linked and tied to what God says as we teach so that we carry the authority that he has. If you aspire to teach, if you aspire to teach, you must be hungry to learn because you recognize, I don't have my life together. I need Jesus to teach me. I have an inadequate grasp of who God is. There are gaps in my understanding and I need home group leaders like Priscilla and Aquila to come alongside me and say, hey, but your thinking is, is out of line. Your, your knowledge is inadequate and ministries will be transformed. Just to encourage you this week, what might you do? Might you take the book of Ephesians and read it yourself? This is Paul's letter to the church to say, this is what the church should be like. Would you read that letter and would you make some notes on it? You notice some patterns in it? Would you share it with other people? Would you invite somebody for coffee and talk it over with them? Talk through some of the things that we're thinking about uh, this week. We have an Alpha course starting on Wednesday night. We have discipleship community starting in October. There's a men's Bible study. There's a women's precept Bible study. And there are Bible study notes coming out of every you know, Christian bookshop available online. You, know, you have opportunities to study and grow why don't you take those opportunities and use them so that you might grow in your giftedness so that the, the body of Christ at Carmoney might grow to maturity as you use your gift. What's not going to happen over the next couple of weeks is we're going to have a competition about which of these gifts is the most important. And say, like the really, really stressed teacher this Sunday and then John's going to get up and say, I know Michael said teacher last Sunday, but this Sunday we're thinking about shepherds. We're not doing that. We're saying we need all of these. And so today mightn't be for you. Teacher mightn't be your main thing. But if it is, take the opportunities that are available to you. And, and if teacher's not your thing, be patient. The apostolic stuff is coming. The prophetic is coming. The evangelism is coming. It's there. Just be patient. I want to pray for you right now. I pray for us as a church. And uh, let's ask for God to be at work among us.